Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Fearless Podcast with Mark and Amber, the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. In today's episode, we're going to talk about how we got to where we are today, and that includes a whole lot of baggage. We brought baggage. Did we ever? (laughs) But it's baggage that we don't carry anymore. Right. It's baggage that we're, it's our old baggage that we're going to share with you. Um, well, we, and well, and coming off the heels of Easter, yeah, what a great reminder! We just celebrated our risen Savior, who paid it all for us. Exactly. So we wanted to share a little bit more of our individual stories, and uh, people, of course, always ask us, "Well, how did you meet?" And uh, <laughs> tell us about you know, tell us how did you get to where you are? Oh boy, oh boy, are you ever going to be sorry that you asked? <laughs> We get to start with uh, we 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 flipped a coin, right? And and uh, my honey lost, and so she has to go first. So right. We're going to talk about um, a little bit of or a whole lot of her life story. Now let me set this up okay. for everyone. Okay. So um, we're going to start with you waking up in the hospital, oh. uh, having your tongue sewed back together. You guys, not a pretty, pretty sight. Okay, so tell us then. So this was before we met, just a, a year and a half or so before we met? Uh, yes, it was 2003. Okay, and um, we met in 05. Okay, and I was working down in Indianapolis and living with a couple of friends. And we went out partying one night, and I, uh, they, they apparently, from what I understand is I was so drunk, they took me to the car and I passed out. When I woke up, it was early morning and there were people standing on both sides of a table holding me down and they were sewing my tongue back together. I had no idea how I got there. I, they couldn't give me any medication because I was so drunk. And so I, I was just sort of in shock and watching just watching, just staring at what was going on. So this was 2000. So this was right after, it was right around September 11th, mm-hmm. 2003. So how old were you? About uh, 22, 23 years old. Let me do the math. <laughs> About 22, I think. Well, see, I was born in 81. Yeah. So but, right. <laughs> 22. So now, so tell tell everybody how you ended up. You said you were working down in Indianapolis. So uh-huh. little, there's a whole story there. So how... What were you doing in Indianapolis? Well, um, shortly, I, I spent five years of my life as a stripper. So I traveled around town here locally and then would go down to Indianapolis and work because there there was obviously more money down there. Right. And, you know, I, I had plans with my friends who I was living with. We were actually the next week on our way to Florida and we were going to go down there and stay for a time and work down there because what you find, what I found, you know, working in that, in the adult entertainment industry is people, a lot of people are just traveling through. Everybody kind of passes by and floats around. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's what I was doing. I was working down there at the upper end clubs. Right. Mm -hmm. So we need to take people back then as to how in the world because when people look at you today of course they're going to say wait you're 
you're a uh, film producer, respected businesswoman, mother of three, Christian wife. Um, <laughs> wife. How in the world did you come out of this? How in the world did you get into that in the first place? So it, let me let's let's take it way back then. So it can safely be said that your your childhood growing up was fragmented. Mm-hmm. Didn't come from a Christian home. No, no Christian values, um, nothing of the sort. And uh, graduated, had a couple of decent jobs as as an office manager, but I was still living at home. And I have a twin sister, and she had her first son right out after high school. And so the two of us, we we were sort of um, we weren't sort of we were trying to get out of our. Are, uh, from living at home with our mom and dad. We wanted to be out on our own. Mm-hmm. And I was an office manager of a plumbing company, and she was actually a medical receptionist at one of the, the hospitals here in town. And she came over and she picked me up after work one day, and she said, hey, a couple of the guys at work just gave me a great idea. Why don't we go and check this out where we can make some extra money on the weekend? And I thought, okay, I had no idea what she was talking about. <laughs> Little did I know... You know, she takes me over to a strip club and we talked about it. I mean, petrified to go in. I mean, just not even in my wildest dreams, not somewhere I thought I would find myself. Right. And so we went in, we gave them fake names. <laughs> like, I'm not telling you anything. Like, totally weird. And you weren't, a, you weren't even old enough to be in a bar at that point. No, right? no, I wasn't 21. Right. I mean, it's not like I was allowed to go in. So you, you went in and gave them fake names. And- oh, so we went in, we gave them fake names, and we left, and we talked about it. And um, then later decided, sort of put our, our strategy together, saying, okay, yes, we can do this. We're going to do it on Friday and Saturday. That's it. We'll go and do our, our, our day jobs Monday through Friday just get extra money enough that's going to pay for us to move out. Well, that was that was all good and fine and that worked well for a couple of weekends, but once you start making more in 2 days than you do all week working 40 hours a week at a day job, you stop and go, "Why am I why am I spending all my time through the week when I could be doing just as little to make more?" Right. And people that aren't familiar with this industry, they need to understand, too, that this is all cash. All cash. So it's not like you're it's not like you're getting a legitimate paycheck. <laughs> it's it's all cash. No, you work for that money. Right. Right. <laughs> so so how long did it take before you decided it was time to just quit the day job? It was only a couple of weeks. I mean, maybe a month. And right. we were both like, I'm done. Like, no way. This is, this is too easy. It was too easy. You know, I always, when I talk to people and, and share my story, I always tell them, like, the strip clubs, that is Satan's playground. You have everything you want in there. Right. And it is so enticing and intoxicating just to be in that environment. So how long, how long did it take before the drugs and the alcohol started to become an issue? Uh, well, we were underage, so we couldn't actually drink per se. <laughs> I mean, here and there, of course, you're getting slipped drinks, but, sure. but it wasn't, it wasn't until I actually turned 21 and actually let's just back up because three days before my 21st birthday, 
I got into an auto accident. I was driving, um, wrecked my truck, and hit somebody, T-boned somebody. Um, blew 0.08, went to jail. So that was the first time I, I had gone to jail. So three days before my 21st birthday. So your first, though, was a DUI. DUI. got It got dropped to reckless driving. I had to go through, I don't even remember the counseling things. But that's a whole nother story because the counseling, I couldn't even keep myself off of drugs long enough to pass the the P tests, mm. the, the, to pass the testing. Um, so there was always some sort of drug that showed up in my system, which led to me having a warrant for my arrest for three years. Okay, so there's a lot there's a there's 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 so, a lot to unpack right. in this and five so we, years. And we haven't even gotten to Indianapolis yet. So <laughs> <laughs> So you're this completely different person than the one that we know now and you're mm-hmm. living this life. You're now you've gone from innocent, relatively innocent, you know, high school graduate work trying to work a regular job, mm-hmm. desperate to get out of the situation you were in, and so Here's easy money, and but along with that comes the temptations of the drugs oh. and the alcohol, and now you're fully immersed in it. Oh, just totally, totally starts to take over. And, and it was probably, I'm guessing probably about six months, six to eight months, maybe even sooner, because everybody is walking around saying, oh, here, you should try this. Come hang out with me. Right. You know, so you're... You, you get like put into this situation and now you're trying to decide, okay, really, who's the right people to be associating with and hanging out with in this equation? Honestly, it's better to go in and just be a loner. I mean, in, in hindsight's 2020, don't get involved with anybody. Right. And we'll talk about my story on the next episode. But right. I obviously, I don't come from that kind of background at all. Mm-hmm. And I never did drugs. I, I, I had some issues with alcohol, but, but not uh, extreme issues, but not extreme issues. Right. And so when, when people who are listening to this, who have never dealt with that, what is the, what, what's the one thing that they, that they a lot of times fail to understand about addiction and, and the onset of it and how powerful it is? Well, it's easy for people on the outside, especially people who have never done drugs or dealt with, um, an alcohol addiction, it's easy for people to just look at it and say, well, just quit. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not the case. I mean, I was heavily, I was into a lot of drugs, hard drugs um, and alcohol. Oh, I can't even tell you. It, it, it was awful. Just being an, a, a raging alcoholic. Because it's not just the social aspect. I mean, that's a powerful part of it, but it's when these drugs are so powerful that it actually physically chemically makes you addicted mm-hmm. to it and and you you have to keep going back and, and what we've seen in working with ministries that deal with uh, addiction issues is the truth is that the advice of we'll just quit doing that that can actually be deadly mm-hmm. for some people you it, have yeah. to go through a process of taking yourself slowly off of these because they're so powerful mm-hmm. so all right, so you've had your accident, your first accident, and but there weren't really any injuries. But now you've got a warrant for your arrest, mm-hmm. uh, your, which which is why I, I which is why I bounced around a lot. Okay, you know, just to stay off of the radar. Right, you so know, nobody so wants to get caught. So you're basically working, but you're on the run, always looking over your shoulder. Right. 
So after some time, you end up in Indianapolis, mm -hmm. and you're now dancing down there. Mm -hmm. So describe that again. Well, down there was a completely different environment and atmosphere. I mean, the, the people down there, they really just blew through money like it was water. I mean, d d amounts of money that I had never even fathomed in my life. And people are inviting you out on yachts and they're picking you up in limos. They're mm -hmm. taking you to these big five-star restaurants in town. I mean, it is luxury. I mean, at its finest, you've got celebrities coming into town, wanting you to come and hang out. I mean, it's, it's a crazy world. It really, it's, it really is a crazy world. And how intertwined is that, that scene with trafficking, prostitution? Oh my word. Oh man. I can tell you even here in Fort Wayne, um, there were so many, when I, like when I said earlier, just the traveling, like there are there that you just travel around from place to place and go and make your money. And you would see that women would come in who were just there. I mean, there were so many women that I met who were sort of just being pimped out. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there was, there was one girl I can, I can tell you, she said, you know, when I'd go and talk to her because the guy would stay all day long and he would sit in the corner and they actually had a little girl. She had a little girl that would come and stay down in our dressing room while she went out and worked. And then the guy sat in the club the entire time that she worked. I mean, it was a, it's a despicable sight to see. And just one of those things that you really remember, but she was from Texas. Mm -hmm. Um, so you know, and she just said she would, they drove around and just looked for different clubs that she could go and work at so that right. just to make money. So money is, money is the root of it. And I want to, one more thing before we get back into the accident. Yeah. And then after that is years later, after, after we were married and, and one day we found out that a girl that you used to mm -hmm. dance with ended up murdered. Yep. You want to talk about that real quick? Uh, well, she was, she was a good friend. I used to hang out with her all the time. Um, when I, when we worked together and, uh, I found out that she was found at the bottom of a lake with a cinder block tied around her feet and she had been murdered. Mm -hmm. Um, it was, a, as far as everyone knows, it was a random killing, but you know, she had a daughter. She was from Detroit and when she, she was a friend and she, and she was a friend, you know, when you, when you work in those environments, it's like, even now there's, there's some of the, some of the women that I kind of wonder where they've ended up. I yeah. wonder what their lives look like today because I know how dr dramatically different my life looks. I mean, I know that one of, uh, one of the girls that I worked with, uh, on the weekends, she's now a nurse mm -hmm. and, Another one is a mom and, and doing well and thriving. So I know that there are some of them who have gotten out of it. Some of them have stayed. I saw another girl not too long ago who she was a waitress, looked rough at, at one of the local restaurants. And, you know, you can just, you can just tell. It was one of those things I really wanted to go over and, and say something to her, but it was almost like this... Um, negative 
negative look that she constantly had when she, I, I mean, I, I know that she knew who I was. Right. <laughs> Everybody knew who I was. I mean, because it wasn't just dancing that I did. I was a bartender. I was a waitress. I was a DJ. I was a house mom. I was a manager at one point. I was the door girl. I cleaned up the stage. I mean, janitorial. I mean, I did everything in there. Right. Mm-hmm. So, all right, let's go back then to Indianapolis. So this mm-hmm. leading up to waking up in the ER and having people all around you and you're, and you're having your tongue sewed back together and they, they're wiring your mouth shut. Um, and I think it's worthwhile to tell people about the accident itself and uh, your two friends that you were with mm-hmm. and what happened and what was the outcome for them? Well, from what I was told, because obviously I have no idea, what I was told by the paramedic was we were traveling on I-65 in Indianapolis at a high rate of speed. Um, There was construction. This is at like three in the morning, so after the bars had closed. And um, traveling at a high rate of speed, there was construction, everybody was stopped, and we never stopped and went up crashed into the back end of a semi-trailer. So we went up under the trailer. The top of the car came down. I was actually in the back seat with my girlfriend and the driver. The driver, unfortunately, was killed on impact. The top of the car came down and crushed my face because I was sitting upwards and my friend was laying in my lap. So she ended up with a broken pinky and I ended up with a crushed face. Um, so there was a lot of damage done. So in that one instant, and you were doing, in addition to, I mean, your whole livelihood was was your looks. Oh, yeah. And you were doing modeling and everything mm-hmm. down there. And then in that one instant, it's all gone. It's all gone. Just stripped of everything. Right. And, you know, once I got done, once they, they finished sort of piecing me back together, if you will, because I had glass, I mean, just glass all over my face. It was, it was a mess. It was, it was an ugly sight. But I remember when everybody left the room and I got up and I walked over to the mirror that was, that was in my room and the nurse had advised me not to, she said, you know, just, just kind of lay here. Don't, don't try to do anything. But I got up anyway, you know, and I got up and I walked over the mirror and I just looked at myself and I wasn't, I couldn't cry because I knew that, that I, I had done this. I, I, I had chosen all of the bad things in my life. I chose to go out and get drunk and, and, you know, my only thought really was where are my friends? Mm -hmm. You know, I can only deal with what is happening right now. I can't go back and change anything. I cannot change, physically change what has happened. So at what point did you find out that your friend had died? It wasn't until a couple days later when they actually let, um, when they actually let uh, my girlfriend who was in the car with me come over. And then she told me that, that he, he was killed on impact. And what an ironic thing that in that accident, one, one died, one had a broken pinky and you were kind of in the middle. You you were spared your life, but your entire livelihood was was disrupted. Mm-hmm. Your whole life was smashed. Mm-hmm. 
So your your mom came down and picked you up mm-hmm. and you came back home and so now you're you're without a means to support yourself again. Right, I'm I'm back right home. back where I started trying to be on my own and and out of my mom and dad's house once again. So right. I'm I'm all for naught. So you're back at home. And you really can't, uh, you, so your your mouth is wired shut. My mouth is wired shut. I'm eating through a feeding tube. Everything had to be, you know, blended, blended so that it could be drank through a straw. Right. And you were actually put in the burn unit at the downtown hospital for a while because... For some time, because I, the, the pain was so unbearable. I mean, my face was crushed in like... I don't remember what they said, like a quarter of an inch, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe less. I don't, I don't remember. I, I, you know, it's such a blur. It's, it's been a while ago. And, um, I remember them putting me in the burn unit and the nurse kept coming around and asking me how, what my pain level was at. And it was always really high because I was so afraid to, to take the morphine pump that they put me on a morphine pump because of the pain. And she would always come over and she'd say, Amber, you, you have to use your pump. But for me, what that pump represented were more drugs. The very thing that practically led me to the position I was in, right. I didn't want to use it. You know, like in an instant from the accident, my whole mindset changed and choices suddenly all became very clear. So you just dealt with the pain. Dealt with it. I dealt with it for for a long time, and then right. I finally got released. Mm-hmm. So how many how many surgeries did you have to have? Do you do you remember? I've had three reconstructive surgeries. So uh, this is maxillofacial reconstruct and reconstruct. So uh, the first time that I saw your X-ray photos, and I said <laughs> you look like the Terminator. Yeah. I mean, there's there's so much hardware in plates there. and screws right. and. All kinds of stuff in my face, yeah. And looking at you now, you would never know that. Right. I would have never, would have never guessed that. And most people, I think, are shocked by that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, all right, so then fast forward, you're, you're, um, you're on the road to a very slow but painful recovery. Mm-hmm. And you had thought about, now I can make a clean start. And you, you kind of had that moment of, Boy, I really screwed up. I now I gotta I gotta do find something else to do. But then what happened? Mm-hmm. So once again, I wanted to be out on my own. I wanted to just live my life my way, right. you know. And um, soon found out that you know I I was I was working again and had had a couple of jobs. I was I was working a waitress job and another office job and. Just realizing that I can't support myself independently with the jobs that I had. So what does any... We as humans, we like comfort. You, you, you found the easy, the easy route to what you wanted, and you knew that you could do that. And right. It right. was a you, known quantity for you. Right. So it was very easy to go back to what I knew. And going back, even even after the accident, um, after, you know, 
surgeries and everything. And so I went back to dancing. Mm -hmm. It was how I could support myself best. And I think that's an interesting point to bring up. Again, we, we find, and, and it, it was something that I learned was a lot of those preconceived notions of, of who women are, who are in the, the dancing world Mm -hmm. like that, that this is a really common story that this is, this is a lot of times the only means that they have to support themselves and their families. And it's just the only thing that makes sense to them Mm -hmm. a lot of times. And that was the thing I think that a lot of people don't understand is there's, uh, there's not, there's not evil intent. It's, I need to work. I need to support my, you know, a lot of them have children Mm -hmm. and, uh, I think a lot of them also are are trying to escape abusive relationships and Mm -hmm. abusive or they're, or they're stuck in, because there are, there are plenty of women who are stuck in those relationships and afraid to get out. And there's a heavy hand on them to actually go and do this because it's supporting someone else's habit is, is what you find a lot of times. Not only do they become addicts themselves, but they're supporting another addict. Right. So you're back in this environment, but Mm -hmm. you still have the warrants. I still have the warrants. So they're still chasing me around. So how did that sort itself out? Well, you know, it's interesting because I, I, I don't know, maybe it was a blessing if somebody turned me in. I mean, honestly, I was, I don't know how someone, I, I really don't know because I moved around so much that I was, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't high priority by any means, but I didn't make a lot of good friends there the second time around because I was a little more bold and a little more, um, I questioned everything and everyone. (laughs) And so, you know, uh, what I think is someone turned me in Mm -hmm. and I was actually out, uh, raking leaves and I saw, the police show up and I was like, eh, okay. And then I went in and <laughs> sat at the door to take money. I was the door girl that day. And then they walked over <laughs> and I was like, yep, is this you? I'm like, yes, that's me. I was like, can I please go brush my teeth? Because I had just gotten, I just got my braces on. Mm-hmm. So here I am, I'm going to jail again. And so that was not fun because I wasn't dressed for jail. Jail is very cold if you've never been in jail. <laughs> so <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> so it's cold and miserable, which it should be. Mm-hmm. I mean, you never want to go back there. It's supposed to teach you a lesson, right? What have I learned through this? So um, spent time in jail, got out of jail, uh, and then ended up having to do house arrest because... I was, I I couldn't stay clean through the first time. And the judge was not happy that I had a warrant for three years. So, (laughs) so there's, and there's so much more to your story here that we're, we're running over on our time here. So I think we're going to have to do this in a Mm two-parter. So we're going to leave you in jail. (laughs) <laughs> Great. <laughs> no, Jesus been, paid it all. Like, you've, I'm been, done. <laughs> you've been sentenced to house arrest, and uh, the, the law has finally caught up with you, and now you're on house arrest. And we're going to pick it up there on our next 
our next episode. Um, So come back again and hear the rest of the story because at some point in this story, she meets this guy. Not only do I meet this guy, then I meet the Lord and and all is forgiven and I am redeemed and it's amazing. And it's a story of two very twisted, broken roads being brought together by the Lord and put on a straight path. That's right. So thank you for joining us on this episode of the Fearless Podcast with Mark and Amber and uh, part two of this uh, on the next episode. Join us then.